This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Here we are at the end of Ecclesiastes. Some of you guys might be um, excited for that. Uh, Some of you, hopefully most of us really enjoyed the book of Ecclesiastes. There's probably not too many churches that you'll go to that will preach through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, so... Congratulations, you got to experience that. Uh, Some of you might still be a little confused or a little depressed. Uh, Vanity of vanities, if if there's no meaning, then what's the meaning? What is he saying? What is he getting at? Uh, The the book has got such an interesting tone, but it's it's difficult. It's it's been a difficult book for people to understand. even way back, one of the commentators talks about how Ecclesiastes is, is particularly challenging uh, for theological interpretation. Even in the first century, there was a vigorous debate between the different Jewish schools as to whether or not Ecclesiastes uh, defiled the hands, meaning made all work and activity meaningless. And so the Jews had a, had a difficult time understanding what exactly is being said here. Uh, that, that discussion continues to this day. Uh, there's some that wonder, to what extent is the book of Ecclesiastes good news? To what extent can we look at it and say that there is good news here? And a large portion of scholars find the book to be fairly pessimistic. And I think that um, all those who have, who have preached at this pulpit, the book of Ecclesiastes, have done a really good job showing the hope that is there, especially as we, we view Ecclesiastes uh, through the lens of the gospel with a fuller understanding of, of the cross and of the hope that we have in Jesus. And so the book has a lot to say about things under the sun. That's one of the, one of the key phrases that we see throughout this, uh, this writing. Vanity of vanities, you know, all things under the sun. And, and so it's, it's sort of, it's a, it's a key to understanding what exactly the preacher is saying because we find that he's, he's consistently highlighting uh, different aspects of life on this earth, the, the material, the physical, um, the, the daily grind. So under the sun is, is used over 30 times throughout the book, and the preacher seems to be giving us this sense that if you're living life with just that, the material, the, the earthly things in view, and, and that's what drives you, and, and that's where your hope is, and everything you do revolves around those things, then it is vanity. It becomes empty. And we certainly see uh, and have experienced probably those times where our, our perspective becomes so, so kind of earthbound that we forget to look up, where we're only, we're only able to focus on the things under the sun, and, and that can be a bit depressing 
And so as, as we've talked about wisdom literature, it, it doesn't always give us the, the clearest, most you know, clean-cut answer to the questions that arise from it. Because the goal of, of this literature is to make you think and to make you wrestle with the ideas that are being presented, to, to have you meditate on them, to, to take them before the Lord. And so even at times when it seems like there's a, a cynical tone in the book, it's there for a purpose. It's for a purpose that's more than just to sound depressing. So it's an adventure going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've, we've come to the end. We've come to chapter 12. We'll be uh, picking up in, in verse 9, um, but I, I'm going to do a little bit of back and forth, just kind of looking, doing a quick kind of flyby of some things in the book that help us to kind of tie it all together. And one of the things that we see from the beginning is that there is a, a narrator. There's someone who, who comes in in chapter 1 and, and kind of introduces for us uh, the preacher um, he, he gives, you know, a little quick bio, you know, son of, of David. And, and so we see the narrator kind of pop in here and there. We see him in chapter 7, and then we see him again in the end of the book. And so we assume that he's, he's taking these, these words, these wise uh, sayings, these proverbs, this book, uh, comp- compiling it and giving it to us. But we also now see in, in the end of of the book, kind of his perspective, his take. And so it's, it's kind of fascinating to see how, how that interacts with the rest of Ecclesiastes. So let me open us with a, a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. We thank you um, for the, the challenges of, of reading this book well, uh, of seeing it for what it is, of, of wrestling with the things that it brings up for us. And, and Father, we pray that your spirit would uh, illuminate for us the, the end of the matter, the, the meaning of, of this book as we, as we close uh, this series this morning. And we just, we praise you for your faithfulness and your goodness. And we lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So beginning in in chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So as as, as we finished in, in verse 8, with the, the concluding thought of the preacher, which was the same as in uh, chapter 1, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's, I mean, that, that'd be a tough way to, to end the book, right? So the narrator jumps back in, and, and it's almost like he's like re-qualifying, like, like remember, this guy is wise. It's, it's not just all, all futile. It's not all worthless uh, even though that's what he's saying, like, we've got to think about what he's doing here. He, he, the preacher, he taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying. And so it feels to me almost like a qualification at the end. And what's interesting about it, especially the phrase, 
besides being wise, he also taught the people knowledge. You'll find that wisdom is a, it's a strange thing because if you simply have wisdom, it, it, does, it does very little. It, it's some, something, if it's just something you, you possess, it doesn't do what it's intended because wisdom is supposed to be shared. Like that's how wisdom works. So if you are wise and you have something wise to say, in order for that wisdom to become effective and, and fruitful, it needs to be communicated well. So there might be, you know, there's some people who are, who are just really smart, right? I mean, they're, they're intelligent. You know they're smart. But when they talk, like, you don't understand what they're saying. You know, the, you don't really get it. You, the, it's hard for them to explain what they're thinking, why, why this works like that, you know, and in all kinds of different disciplines, this might happen. But uh, a good teacher is able to take that wisdom and, and make it something that people can understand and apply. And, and so this is, this is a challenging, I mean, this, is, this verse is a, is a challenge to those who, who might be even teaching the word in some context. To, it's one thing for you to kind of have a lot of wisdom to understand it, but then to ask the Lord to give you the ability to share that well so that others might become wise also. And so the preacher is an example of this. Beside being wise, he taught the people knowledge. He gave them this wisdom in a useful form. And so, which we, we see in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, assuming this is Solomon, we see in, in other uh, wisdom writings that we have in Scripture. Uh, it says, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Um, uh, speaking of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 32, it says that he, he was someone who, who wrote 3,000 proverbs. Um, so, so we have the book of Proverbs. Uh, we have Ecclesiastes, you know, Song of Songs, assuming these are all Solomon's writings, then we have, we, we still don't have even probably close to 3,000 proverbs. So this is a guy who spent a lot of time thinking really hard and deeply about life. And, and that, that is... Um, that, that's a rare thing, I think, especially today. Someone who, who's, who's willing to think deeply and hard about life, about God, about the things of God, and then to desire to make those uh, things something that others can understand and use. And the idea of a proverb is, is different in a sense that proverbs like we've said, are not, they're not always clear. It's not like sort of spoon-fed information and facts. You, you know, th- teaching kids, like, it's, it's often like you're just trying to get them, you know, to understand, like, here's the information. Like, just give them, give them the facts, let them memorize it, and, and kind of, you know, then they'll have it, right? They'll have the information. But uh, I think as, I, as I've watched my wife teach our girls and, and her, her philosophy of teaching develop, uh, and I, I listen most of the time when she's explaining all these 
things to me at 11 o'clock at night when I'm trying to go to sleep, um, how, her homeschooling philosophy. But I think that there's, there's so much value, as she's convinced me, in not just imparting information, but giving them really valuable things to consider and to work through and to think through and, and then guiding them along that process as they, they hear and they, they have questions. And so, so I think there's so much value in, in, the, in the teaching style uh, of wisdom literature of Proverbs because it makes you think. And, and I think we can, we can often become like a bit lazy in how we learn. We just want to know, like just get to the, like, like what's the... <laughs> You know, what's the end of the matter? Like, okay, fear God and, and obey him. Good, we got it. You know, that's, that's it, right? But there's so much value to just considering, to, to working through these things. And the preacher understands that. And so that's why we have 12 chapters of all of this stuff about vanity before we get to fear God and obey his commandments. Because we have to think through it. We have to think through the, the things of life. We have to understand why we're doing what we're doing. What, what has meaning? What has value? What's purposeful? So it says, the preacher sought to find words of delight. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of funny to me. I mean, we just went through the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know that words of delight like is the best description of this book. Um, but that's probably because when we think of words of delight, you know, we, we're thinking more of, of, of a style that makes us feel good, right? You know, it, it's, it's nice, like flowery, encouraging. But really, we, we need to learn to delight in all truth, in all of God's truth, whether it's the difficult truth, um, whether it's, it's the truth that really just lifts us up. Uh, in a in a a time a hard time, but these these words of delight it goes beyond just the kind of surface level feelings of happiness when we read something, and, and we can we can easily just reach for you know those verses that make us feel good, you know, especially in, in in a tough time. But there's something to delighting in all of God's truth, and there's a lot about death in the book of Ecclesiastes. How do you delight in that? How do you, how do you delight in this idea that's like, it's all vanity and you're all going to die? You know, how do you, what do you do with that? And I think that the more we, we process those kind of things, you know, the better we understand where we've come from and who we are and where we're going, the more we can, we can live life richly in Christ. And so these words of delight, that they're maybe not the way we think of delight always, um, but it says, uprightly he wrote words of truth. So there we see the parallelism. The words of delight are the words of truth, whether it makes us feel good or not. And so this is a wise teacher this is somebody who understands the things of life. He understands all the aspects, the difficulties, that he understands how to make you think about what uh, your life is. And that's a valuable thing for us. 
It goes on, it says, verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So here the narrator moves beyond just the words of, of the preacher, and, and he, he speaks of this larger group, the words of the wise, uh, which we, we see collected saying. So he's speaking of like the canonical wisdom literature. The, the words of the, li- of the wise, the, the collected sayings, um, these, there's an assumption here that they're given by one shepherd. And, and I think the best understanding of that is, is the idea that God is the one shepherd. He's, he's guiding. He's, he's the one who is behind all of the wise words, which, which we know, we understand, but we have to think about, sometimes it's good to keep that in mind when we're reading through these difficult um, wisdom sayings that, that God is he's doing something through these collected sayings. These, these are here for a reason. Somehow he's orchestrated the, this literature to be um, a group for us to rest in, to trust in. And it says that these words are like goads, like nails firmly fixed. Most of us are probably familiar with the term goads. Um, it's, it's a sharp stick. It's used to direct uh, oxen, you know, large animals while they're plowing. Um, you give them a poke. You know, if they're going one way, give them a poke and they go the other way. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a pleasant type of instrument, as you can see. A, a goad, a sharp stick, the nails firmly fixed. Um, that, that could also just be a parallel idea to goads. It doesn't specifically mean like nails for building. It could, it could be speaking just of, of the, the firm uh, path that the goads are pressing us on and towards. Um, I remember just as a kid, you know, uh, parents are often goading their children you know, that's, that's kind of our job is, is you're goading them and, and sometimes kind of literally like you're sitting in church, you know, and I would be fooling around and I'd feel like that, that goad, you know, from my parents. You know, parents have a good goad finger usually. Give you a little poke, you know, it means, you know, stop, you know, go the other way. <laughs> you're getting in dangerous territory. Um, so, this idea is that it's not pleasant, but yet it, it keeps us on the path. It keeps us in the truth. And, and so the words of the wise are like goads. Um, we, can trust, we can trust that this is here for a purpose. It's here for a reason. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, in, in all of its difficult reading, is, is there in order to keep us on a certain path, and, and specifically to remind us not to forget that all of the things under the sun are temporary. If that's where our perspective is, if we're living in that bubble where, where life just revolves around the things under the sun, then we're going to be sorely disappointed. 
And he says, my son, beware of anything beyond these. So, I mean, here we have, it. it's kind of interesting because it's, it's sort of like uh, he's, he's providing a, a reasoning for, for the canon of, of Scripture, as we would, we would call it. Like here we have, we have the collected sayings. We have the, the words given by one shepherd. There's divine author. And we can trust that this is the truth that will guide us, painful as it may be. And he says, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. And that, that certainly holds, holds true. I mean, even today, much more today, there's so many books, right? I mean, I'm a seminary student, so it's like when I have to write a paper, you, you go to research and so many things written on a topic, you know, you, from all different perspectives. You can, you can have s- s- such a, you know, a liberal more viewpoint on something, an extremely conservative view. You can have stuff in the middle. And I, I'm one of those people that just, I have such a hard time moving from the research phase to the writing phase. Um, some of my seminary brothers and sisters would know what I'm talking about, but it's like you feel like you're going to miss something, like you've got to read everything to know before you, you start that, that thesis and, and write, but it's just, it becomes like a weariness. So the, there's so much. And, and sometimes it's so refreshing, like even after I've been reading, you know, book after book, article after article, and you just start to feel like confused and, you, and then you come back to the scripture and you, you can, it's so refreshing to be like, I don't even have to think about whether, I don't have to evaluate this in the same way. It's just, it just feeds my soul. And there's just something so sweet about that. Um, so be careful. Yeah, there's, there's always another resource. There's always another perspective. But come back to the word. Know that, that it's, it's true it's like Psalm 1 says, you know, the, the one who is, who is planted by a stream of water is, is like, you know, being one who's reading the word, who knows the law, and it, it's just refreshing and it fills you. And so beware. It's a weariness of the flesh. Um, verse 13, here we finally get to the end of the matter. Here's it all. Here's, here's the narrator. Uh, he, he's framed the book for us. He comes in. He says, here it is. <laughs> you know, everything's been heard. We, we've heard what the preacher has to say. And he says, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So it, it's interesting because, you know, I don't know that, that I would get that specifically from reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, but as, I, as we go back through and, and we think about there, there is these kind of hopeful moments in the book that, that are almost like, you know, they're, they're trying to, to point us towards something more than just this life. And, and we'll see that whenever the preacher speaks about God in the book. Because so often it's like, you know, this, there's this toil, 
Um, there's a seeking after these things. There's pleasure. It's all vanity. It's all vanity. But then it'll, it'll, it'll kind of flip for a minute and say something about, like, this is what God has given for you to do, so take joy in it. And then it goes back, and you get back, and it's kind of that downward, you know, it's all vanity. But there's these, these moments of hope where it kind of lifts us up, kind of to, to peek above, like, the, the, the mist, and to see clearly for a minute, and then it, it goes back down. And so I think that what the narrator is doing is he's, he's helping us to, to get a fuller picture of, of what is happening in this book, that everything under the sun, whether it be, uh, you know, he starts out with the, with the earth, the things of the earth, it's just a cycle, it continues. Um, the work and toil of mankind, you know, what, if, it, if that's all it is, it's just like you work and, and die, and then someone else comes and gains from your labor, you know, that's vanity. Uh, the acquiring of wealth, material goods, uh, that's worthless. The pursuit of pleasures doesn't last. Even justice and judgment aren't often found upon this earth. And, and yet, the preacher, through all of those, there's, there's these little sparks of hope. And, and so, to sum it up, he says, you know, of all those things under the sun... It's, it's not just about what you do. It's about your posture towards God in those things in life. Because no matter who you are, and this is repeated throughout the book, death comes knocking. I mean, wh- whether you're a righteous or an evil person, same event happens, right? Death is coming. Whether you're wise, whether you're a fool, death is still coming. The, the brevity of life under the sun is inescapable. And then what? And then we stand before God someday. And so he says, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And so this becomes the, the kind of the governing concept that gives meaning and value to everything that has just been labeled vanity. Uh, it it's what directs our hearts and minds upward while we're living under the sun. And, and so when we read this, I feel like it, it starts to just illuminate the book. Because here we are living kind of the daily grind. You know, there's, you go to work, you come home, there's the, you know, there's kids, there's bills. Um, all of those things are just constantly pulling at us. We're just trying to kind of keep our heads above water. Things might be going good for a while. Then something bad happens or difficulties. And, and so we can sort of just get, start drowning in, in life. And he says, if, if your posture in life is simply to focus on all of those things, you're never going to be satisfied but if your posture is reverence towards God and pleasing him in all things, then everything begins to have value and meaning. And, and like I said, that's, that's what we're supposed to think through and, and come to. We're supposed to, we're supposed to deal with that um, internally and meditate on it and realize 
how the book of Ecclesiastes makes that so clear for us. Where the value and the meaning of life lie, they lie in our posture towards God. And so our joy is something that has to be connected to that relationship with God. And it's so easy, like, like I know that in my head, right? We know that, like, Christ is our everything, but how often do we find our joy genuinely being affected, and more than just affected, but sometimes taken captive by our situations, by our life situations. And, and our joy is such a good indicator of where our, our hearts are, where our worship is. If we find ourselves, you know, being so brought down by certain situations in life and then brought back up by other material or situations under the sun, then we can see that sort of roller coaster of our joy is, is tied to the vanities of life. And that's a, another theme throughout the book is, is him talking about where, where is your joy? Is there joy in this? Is there joy in that? And so our joy becomes um, kind of the best indicator, I think, for whether or not we're living life well, whether or not we're living with our, our eyes upon God. You know, chapter two, do we find enjoyment in the work God has given us. The toil, the toil of man is, is vanity unless it's done to the glory of God. In Colossians 3, do all things to the glory of God. Um, you know, are we able to find joy even in the face of, of death? Do we understand eternity? Does it really sink in that this life is coming to an end and yet we have the glorious uh, life of living with Christ if we've put our trust in him. And can we, can we have joy even when things are, are going wrong and trust that God is working in those things? You know, we, we just may not understand it right now, but we can trust that God is working. So fear God and live to please him in all things. Obey his commandments. I mean, us, us, we're New Testament people, right? We're new covenant people. But the commands of God are, are sweet and they're not burdensome in Christ. And when we, can live, when we can live in a way that's pleasing God through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of these aspects of life become rich and full and they have meaning So, if our toiling is motivated just by those earthly needs and desires, then it is vanity. It is chasing after the wind. And, and that's what the preacher reminds us of. And so, if we honor God with our work, if we honor him in our relationships, if we honor him in our pursuits, if we're guided and directed by him in all those things, then it becomes full. And, and really, everything boils down to that perspective. That's where our true value is in understanding all of those things in the way uh, with, with God being our primary focus. So it's, it's been said 
you know, life under the sun, the S-U-N, is, is meaningless. It's vanity. But life under the sun, S-O-N, is where we find our value, our purpose, our meaning in life. And so we have to be conscious of our posture before God. We have to live this, this life uh, with the intention to please Him and to always be bowing before God and not uh, the, the daily grind, the, the things that do not last. So let us live life under the sun, the S-O-N. Let us, un- let us live that purposeful life, trusting that everything we do um, it, with that perspective, it does have value, it does have meaning and purpose. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for um, this book. We thank you for uh, the value that you have given us, the life that you've given us in Christ. Uh, we thank you for saving us, uh, that we can put our trust in you, that we can, we can have meaning, Lord, that we can have joy, that we can have true fellowship with you in everything that we do. And I pray, Father, that you would give us um, clarity in those areas of our life where we need our our perspective uh, readjusted, where we need to be more mindful of the eternal things. And so we thank you for uh, your grace and your mercy and, and your patience and your kindness towards us. And we love you and we lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.